Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. If you have a Bible, open with me to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And we'll be in the second chapter of Revelation. We're starting a new series today. In Revelation 2 and and chapter 3, there are seven letters to seven different churches. And so that's going to be our sermon series for the next seven weeks. We're going to look at each one of those. And these are written to seven particular urban churches, right, in that time. But the messages that are given to them were meant for all the churches. And they are applicable to all the churches now. So we're going to learn something from each one of them every time that we come. The theme for the message today in Revelation 2, 1 through 7 is what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? That's how we'll start. Now, one thing I want to say, hey, Sam, could you put the the text up for a second? There's, there's a common form that you're going to see every time, right? Every, in every letter, they're going to have things that Jesus is happy about with the church. There's things he wants them to work on. And then a call that he gives them to conquer or to overcome. In every letter, you're going to see that. And the way each letter starts is a description of Jesus that's really, that t- is taken from the description of him in chapter 1. So here's the homework, right? Go back and read chapter 1. All right, that's going to give you a lot more. Um, information about this. I'm just going to read a couple verses there. In verse 10 of chapter 1, I didn't didn't put these on slots. Verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. This is in chapter 1. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, right? This is where we're getting this from. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then look at verse 12. It says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. So this is a vision that John is seeing. And this is what he sees in the vision. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with the long robe and with the golden sash around his chest. And then it describes him in these next few verses. And then when you get down to verse 17... It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid, oh, excuse me, I meant to read verse 16. Back up to verse 16. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face like the sun shining in full strength. And then if you skip down to verse 20, that's the last verse before we get into our, our chapter. It says, as for the mystery of the seven stars, right? You remember we just saw that? that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. We just saw that. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and that's either an angel or, a me- or the pastor of the church. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right? So all of that is to lead in to what we're going to talk about. So now let's pick it back up with chapter 2, verse 1. Here now the reading of God's word. To the angel... Of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. 
And what, that, what that's telling us, it's, it's illustrating Jesus' authority over the churches and his presence among each of them. So now back to the verse, verse 2. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Verse 3. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And in verse 6, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And then verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the present, the paradise of God. This is God's word. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the word of God. Thank you. We thank you that your word testifies about itself, that it's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. So unless we have the light of your word shining upon us, we're walking in darkness. So shine your light upon us right now. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence already in this place. Continue to have your way in us and among us. Help us understand these words that we read and fill us with yourself. Fill us with power so that we can live in light of them. Show us today what love has to do with it. And all this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. I remember in my, my early 20s, I was working with the ministry called Young Life. I've talked about them before. Anybody familiar with that youth ministry um, called Young Life? So I was on staff with them. And, uh, and I went to my boss one day. His name was Pat. And Pat was one of my heroes, actually still is. And he was an, an amazing preacher and just an amazing man of God. And so I went to him one time and I, and I asked him a question. I said, Pat, how can I tell if I'm growing? And honestly, I don't know if y'all have ever done this. Have you ever asked a question where you're really fishing for a compliment? Have, have you ever done that? That's what I was doing because I, I had something in mind I wanted him to say to me. Right? I wanted him to say, man, you're getting a lot better as a preacher. You know, you're getting more confident as a leader. You know, you're loving people well. You're, you're growing more in your knowledge, all those things. That's what I wanted him to say, right? I was asking him, you know, tell, us, tell me, how would I know that I'm growing? And I thought he would say something like that. But he's a really thoughtful guy. And he's, he thought about it for a second. And he said, you know, the way that I can tell if I'm growing is how I love people, especially the people closest to me. And I was like, you ain't supposed to say that. <laughs> What's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? See, it may seem to you that I'm feeling confused. Well, wait a minute, I'll just stop right there. That's going a little too far. That doesn't, that doesn't apply to the message. I'll just stop. 
but the first part. What's love got to do with it? What he was saying is everything. Love has everything to do with it. And that's what the Apostle John was trying to get across to these churches. He was saying to them, y'all, love has everything to do with it, as we'll get into the text. Now, let's think about this for ourselves, New City West End, right? What are we about? We're trying to be in and of and for the West End, right? We say that every week, and we mean that, and we live that. What's love got to do with it? Everything. What's love got to do with how we treat each other? Everything. What's love got to do with how we love our families? Everything. What's love got to do with how we live in our jobs and we treat the people that we work with? Everything. It's got everything to do with it. And so what do we learn about that here in this passage? What does it teach us about this? How do we grow in this love? And we do that looking at three things that Jesus brings out about this church that helps us to grow as a church, right? And I put them right there for you. We'll see this. And honestly, this pattern is in every one of the letters, generally speaking, right? You've got the commendation of Jesus. This is what I like about y'all. And then the confrontation of Jesus, right? You heard that. This is what I have against you. And then the last part, the call of Jesus, what Jesus is calling them to at the end. So let's just look at that very quickly, all right? Let's start. Number one, the commendation of Jesus, what Jesus sees in them. There's a couple things that he commends them for, their hard work and their commitment to the truth. First, look at their hard work. And, and literally, when, when it says here, your toil, it's talking about work to the point of exhaustion. Have you ever worked that hard? That's what he's talking about. And, and look at verse 2 right there. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And then in verse 3, he says, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. He's saying, I see you, church. I see you working hard. I see you enduring. I see you not giving up and continuing on in the work. And he says, I want to commend you for that. And church, we can learn something from that because that we are a hardworking church too. And he sees that. Maybe you feel like nobody else sees. Maybe there's things, there's ways. I know there's so many of you that serve behind the scenes and nobody gives you accolades or the flowers that you deserve. But Jesus says, I see you. I see your work. I see your toil. And I commend you for that. Keep on doing that. But then not only are they hardworking, if you go to that next slide, he says that they also, they are committed to sound doctrine. Look at verse 2 right there. It says, "How you? I also know that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And then he spells out the evil a little bit. He says, who, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. In other words, you have people literally, right, in their churches who are going, you know what, I'm down with Paul and Peter. We used to hang out, right? We went to school together. I got some of that spiritual power like Paul does too. And they're trying to draw people to themselves. They're false apostles. And the church is saying, we're not going for that. We're not recognizing that. And then in verse 6, he talks about this group, and that's going to come up in several of the letters. It says, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. In that group, as, as you're studying it, you're trying to find out what, what are some of the works 
of this group. And it seems like what they're doing is they're mixing idolatry and immorality within, within their Christianity and saying it's all right to do all of this stuff, immorality, it's all right to do this idolatry with our Christianity. We can do that. And there's, there's people like that now, right? Don't you deal with things like that? And they were there, but the guy said, no, we're not doing that. We're not giving in to this false doctrine. Now, why would it have been so hard for them? If you look, if you can put up that next slide. This is a, a rendition of the temple of Artemis. And it was literally one of the seven wonders of the world. And so this place, it was a religious center in Ephesus of idolatry. So it is all around them, y'all. The church is right in the midst of all of that stuff. It's the chief cult was the chief cult of Artemis, the goddess of hunting and fertility in Greek mythology. And this temple, again, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. And so this church comes up right in the midst of that. If you're reading through Acts, Paul gave them a warning when he's talking to the church at Ephesus. You can put up that next slide from Acts chapter 20. Paul said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So that's the same church. And he's telling them, watch out for this. And the church is. And Jesus says, I commend you for that. And so the commendation of Jesus, he commends them for their hard work and he commends them for their commitment to doctrine. Likewise, maybe if he was here at New City West End, he would say, I commend you for your hard work. Keep doing that. And I commend you for your commitment to doctrine, to strong doctrine. We have that too, right? We're committed. We have lots of different people preaching and a consistent theme is they're preaching the word of God. And we're not going to change that. We're going to keep on doing that. Now, the flip side of that is let us not become arrogant about our works. Let us not become complacent about our teaching. Let's keep on doing those things. Let's not look down on other churches that we think don't do it as well as we do. Let's keep doing that. Let's encourage the brothers and sisters and congregations among us and around us. All right? This is the commendation of Jesus. Now, let's move to the second part, and that is the confrontation of Jesus. Uh-oh, here we go. Verse 4. What is Jesus confronting them about? Verse 4 says, but this I have against you. What is it? You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Another way to say that is you have forsaken your first love. What, is, what love is he talking about? Is he talking about their love for God? Is he talking about their love for each other? Now, as I'm studying this and reading it, it's probably referring to both. Somehow in the midst of their hard working and the midst of their commitment to strong doctrine, they've lost their love for God and each other. Now, how important is love to God? Do you remember when somebody came up to Jesus? You can put up that next slide. And said, teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? And he puts these two together. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your what? With all your 
heart and your soul and your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he says the second is like it. You shall love your how? As yourself. On these two commandments depend the law, all the law and the prophets. One more passage from the Apostle Paul on the priority of love. Look at this. As he's writing to this gifted, um, powerful church, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, right? We were just singing that. He moves mountains, but have not love. I'm nothing. And look at verse 3. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And here's what I want to say to us. Think about all the things that we do. And praise be to God that we do them. But maybe Paul could come and say to us, listen, you can tutor two million kids. But if you don't have love, you haven't accomplished anything. You can have an amazing freedom school, Miss Angie. But if you don't have love, you don't, you don't have anything. You can tuck point houses. You can train youth. You can restore the homes of widows. But if you don't have love, what are you doing? You can have the best West Fest there ever was, right? But if you don't have love, then it's accomplishing nothing. Now, all of those things were started, all those ministries, and those ministries continue out of love, right? That's the foundation. That's what keeps them going, right? But he's saying that's how important it is that love is guide us. So you say, well, what do we do if we've lost our first love, right? Maybe you say, oh, baby, give me one more chance to show you that I love you. Won't you please let me back in your heart, right? Well, what does he do? He doesn't sing Michael Jackson. Look at verse 5. What does he do? He gives us three things to do if we, when we lose our first love. And you can tell the preacher wrote this because there's three R's. First one, look at that. He says, remember, right? That's the first one. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. What's the second R? Repent. And the third R is repeat. I'm adding that. Like, do the works you did at first. That's repeat. So maybe I added one in there, but that's, that's what it means. If not, he says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So how do you recapture that first love? Remember, repent, and repeat. Why, what are you remembering? Remembering where you came from. Remembering who it was that loved you. After I get finished preaching, we're going to sing one of my favorite songs. And the song says, as I look back over my life and I think things over, I can truly say that I've been blessed. I've got a testimony. And some of you know that second verse. It says, sometimes I couldn't see my way through. But the Lord, he brought me out. Oh, and right now I can see that I got the victory. I've got a testimony. Do you remember where God brought you from? Do you remember what God saved you from? Do you remember where you were? Everybody else might have given up on you, but God didn't. 
but God had his hand on you. When you didn't know how to wake a, make a way out of no way, God made a way for you. When you didn't know where you would get your next meal from, God provided for you. When you were in danger, God protected you. When you were alone, God adopted you. Do you remember where God brought you from? The second thing he says here is to not just remember, but he says to repent. And what does it mean to repent? That means if I'm going this way, then what? I got to turn it around and I got to go this way. And you know what? It's not only a change of action. It's a change of heart that leads to a change of action. You know, one of the greatest real-life real examples of repentance I can think of was a friend of mine in Baltimore named Gary Palmer. You can put up that next picture. And Gary opened a, co a coffee shop right on the corner of Pressman Street and Stricker Street in, in our old neighborhood in West Baltimore. Now, what was significant of, of that is um, when Gary was growing up, Gary was the leader of a group called CBS, which was the most notorious gang in that neighborhood, right? Gary would tell the story of the 20 people that were around us, there's like three that are still alive or not in jail. And then Gary later on in his life comes to know Jesus Christ. And then he has this dream of living in the community and serving the community, the same place that by his admission, he had tried to destroy. And so one of the most powerful things is when we had the dedication of that building that would become the coffee shop called Gary's Goods. He says, I used to stand on the same corner and serve in a different way. Do you catch what I'm saying? But he says, now I'm going to serve it differently. I'm serving coffee. I'm not serving things that are going to destroy people's lives. I'm going to serve in a way that brings life to this neighborhood. That is repentance. He's going this way. And God has so worked in his life that he's turning around and going this way. And then finally, the other thing he says is to repeat. Do the things that you did at first. Isn't that what they tell us, right, in the marriage workshops? You got to go back like you were dating back before and do the things that you used to do before. You got to get the flowers. You got to have the conversations and hold hands and go on the walks and go out to dinner. You got to do the stuff that you used to do. Back in the time back then when you were dating, can we go back to the days when our love was strong? Can you tell me how a perfect love would go so wrong. Can somebody tell me how to get back to the way that they used to be? Oh God, give me the reason. I'm down on bended knee. He's saying, you got to, you got to go back and repeat what you did before. Go, go look boys and men up if y'all that are wondering. I, I'm dating myself again. But you've got to repeat and go back to the things that you used to do, to recapture that love. Why, and again, go to the next slide for me. Look at the second part of that verse again. Um, next slide, the, the Revelation, verse 5. It says, if not, this is how serious it is to Jesus. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The lampstand is the church. And he's saying, if you don't, do, if you don't remember and repent and repeat, I'm going to remove this. And many of those churches, that's exactly what happened. This one, it seems like they got the message and they, they started acting right and doing what he called them to do. But for so many other, that's what, 
they needed to do, and they didn't. So what does that mean? Oh, excuse me. Let's go to the next slide. Let, let me share this. This is how important it is in John 13. Look at what Jesus says. A new commandment I give you as he's talking to his disciples. And think about those brothers, right? Some of them are fishermen. Some of them are a, a zealot. You know, one's a doc, they're, they're from all these different places, and they've come together on the same team. And look at what he says. I give to, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. How? Just as what? As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know. This is what my friend was trying to tell me. All people will know that you are my disciples. How? How? Y'all still awake? Come on now. If you what? If you have love for one another, that's how people recognize that we're Jesus people, the way that we love. And I thank God that people do recognize that in our church. They see that. But we've got to, we can't be arrogant about that. We've got to continue to do that. And so what does he say here? What is the, um, the confrontation of Jesus? He tells us to remember, to repent and to repeat. Now let's go to the last thing. And that is the call of Jesus. Each one of these letters ends with his exhortation at the end for them to hear. And there's a promise that's given to the ones who conquer. Here he says in verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And when he says that, imagine it's like your mama or your grandma saying, listen to me. They're not asking you just to make sure you hear what they said. They want you to do what they said. Right? It's that same spirit. He who has an ear, let him hear. That means hear what I'm saying and do it. To the one who conquers, here's the promise. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, what is that referring to? It's referring to eternal life that's in the presence of God. And what you're going to see in a lot of those letters, not only do they go back to things that are in chapter 1, but they also look ahead to things that will come later in Revelation. Excuse me. So here's one passage. You can put up Revelation 22. It says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, what's there? The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. That sound familiar? Yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so this is looking forward. This tree of life he gives to those who, prom who continue and heed that word. This is simply, that's the call of Jesus. This is not a long point. That's the call. Is to listen to the word and what he promises is that we conquer, and in doing so, we receive the tree of life. But you say, well, how do we do that? Do we do it in our hard work? Do we do it in our sound doctrine? Do we do it even with our love of God and of other people? Well, that image of the tree of life, that helps us understand it a little bit. If, can you go back to verse 7 so we can see that? There you go. That image there, and, and what you're going to see in every letter is there's something that the writer refers to that's familiar right in that city. And in that city, on the same ground where the, the temple of Artemis was built, there was an old ancient shrine that was called a tree of life. 
And you know what used to happen? Anybody who was running away from a crime that they had committed, they would run to that ancient shrine at the Tree of Life, and it was like a refuge that they would be able to be saved if they got to the Tree of Life. And so here he's saying, well, that is actually kind of true. If you get to the tree of life that Jesus provides for you, you will get saved. Now, how do you get to that? Well, the way I'm glad you asked that because the way that you get to it is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the one that has the seven stars in his hand, went to the tree of death so that we could have access to the tree of life. Jesus Christ conquered by being conquered on a cross so that we could be more than conquerors. How do you get to the tree of life? By faith in the one who went to the tree of death. Why? Because he loves you. We love because he first loved us. Now, maybe there's somebody in this room that says, well, I don't know. You know, my life is too messed up. I don't know. Maybe somebody's watching online, and you're like, I'm too far gone. I don't know. Well, there was a guy that was hanging on a cross with Jesus, about to die, a criminal, an insurrectionist, a guy that started right who deserved his own fate. And his, the other guy that's there is mocking Jesus. He's saying, if you're really the son of God, get us down from here. And Jesus says, I'm staying up here to save you. But then the other guy rebukes the other criminal. And what does he say to him? He says, be quiet. This man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. In other words, he's righteous. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But that man's done nothing wrong. And you know what? He has the audacity to say to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's crazy. What, that, what is that man? He's about to die. He's a criminal. What's he going to do for Jesus? He ain't going to go on no mission trip. He's not going to start a nonprofit. He's not going to lead a Bible study. He's not going to preach a sermon. What is he going to do for Jesus? Nothing. What do I have to commend myself to Jesus? The same thing. Nothing. But that guy is so bold to say to Jesus, and I'm saying this, because I want some of you to say that same thing to him. He says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And what did Jesus say? What did he say? He says, yes, I tell you the truth today. You will be with me where? In paradise. The same thing. And so will you believe? Will you believe today the same Jesus that saved a criminal that didn't have anything to offer him? At the last moment of his life, he's in that paradise of God. You can be also. Through faith in this same one who was hanging on a tree of death so that you, you and I could eat again of the tree of life. There, I meant to say something about the tree of life. Book preached that last week. Go listen to that. But I'm out of time. But now he's given you access to the tree of life. Whereas it wasn't there before, but now it is through faith in Jesus. So what does love have to do with the new city? What does love have to do with it? When Jeremiah plays some music, what does love have to do with it? When you're serving the people in Westfest, what does love have to do with it? When you're loving one another, what does love have to do with it?
Thanks for listening, and God bless.